Hi, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you learn why you're more likely to order junk food after your friends do, why we're the only human species, and why people literally dance themselves to death during the medieval dancing plague. Let's satisfy some curiosity. According to research, you're more likely to order unhealthy food if your friend does first. And the reason might surprise you. It's not because you're gluttonous or lazy or even that you're looking for your friend's approval. Instead, researchers found that empathy was the primary motivator. And that's why today we're starting with a story on the term they came up with for this. Altruistic indulgence. Are you altruistically indulgent, Ashley? Oh boy, I try not to be, but yeah, for sure. For a study last year published at Seoul National University, researchers looked at patterns in drink orders from a large coffee shop at a university in Korea. They did this by looking at 649 receipts, and they found that when a customer ordered a high-calorie item, their companion followed suit a whopping 80% of the time. So you're an 80%er, Ashley. Definitely. Researchers called this the indulgent companion complex. When customers ordered low-calorie items, their companions only ordered in kind 60% of the time, so not statistically significant. The next step in the study was for researchers to figure out why was this happening. So they gave 174 American women an online quiz about what they would do in a handful of eating situations. They found the same result as their first study, where participants were more likely to order something indulgent or unhealthy after their friend did it. But this time, they also asked why they ordered the unhealthy food. When the researchers crunched the numbers, they found that the biggest meal choice motivator was the desire to make their friend feel better about her choice. In other words, they said that they chose to eat the way they did so their friend wouldn't feel bad for ordering something unhealthy. So the next time you make an unhealthy choice after your friend does, just remind yourself that it's all about altruism and not the alluring smell of that double bacon, super cheesy chili burger. Good thing your friend ordered it first. You know what the saddest thing about this study is? The same thing doesn't happen with healthy food. You have about the same chance of ordering something unhealthy if your friend orders something healthy. But here's the takeaway. If you're worried you're out with your friend and you know they're going to order something unhealthy, maybe you order first, and then that way you won't be motivated by this altruistic indulgence to order something unhealthy as well. I like that tip. There's only one species of human, but it hasn't always been that way. And researchers have prehistoric proof that there used to be a lot more than just Homo sapiens. Let's talk human history. You've almost definitely heard of Homo neanderthalensis, also known as Neanderthals. We've also mentioned Denisovans on this podcast before. We discovered Denisovans in 2008 when researchers analyzed the DNA of bone fragments from the Denisova cave in Siberia. Denisovans are either a subspecies of Neanderthal or they're a completely different species of human. But either way, they were a big enough deal for paleoanthropologists to take notice when we first learned about them. And in 2018, researchers discovered that based on DNA tests they'd run on bone fragments from that same cave in Siberia, one of the prehistoric people in that cave had an even split of Neanderthal and Denisovan DNA. Scientists had already figured that ancient human species may have interbred, including Homo sapiens, by the way. But this discovery changes things a bit. Think about it this way. We only have a handful of Denisovan bones to analyze. The fact that we have a small sample size that includes a first-generation hybrid suggests that interbreeding was quite common in the Pleistocene era, at least in this particular cave. And Neanderthals probably aren't the only ancient humans that Denisovans mingled with. We've found Denisovan DNA surviving today in a surprising place, 
the Pacific Island region of Melanesia. About 4 to 6% of Melanesian DNA can be linked to Denisovans. But unlike Europeans, Melanesians show no signs of Neanderthal DNA. That would mean the Denisovan DNA was carried because of interbreeding between Homo sapiens and Denisovans. These days, you see Homo sapien, Homo neanderthalensis, and Denisovan DNA. But last year, researchers put out a new theory that there were actually a lot more prehistoric humans than just those three types. And the reason our species survived comes down to one thing, generalization. Researchers suggest humans fill the role of generalist specialist, meaning we can slip into virtually any role available. While some of our cousins may have excelled at dwelling in some extreme climates, we found a way to adapt and spread. And as we did, we mingled with the local population and carried their genes into the future. Here's to another several thousand years. Today's episode is paid for by NHTSA. It can be a little frustrating, especially if you're in a hurry or running late, to find yourself at a railway crossing waiting for a train. Right. And if the signals are going and the train's not even there yet, you can feel a bit tempted to try and sneak across the tracks. Well, don't. Ever. Trains are often going a lot faster than you expect them to be. And they can't stop. Even if the engineer hits the brakes right away, it can take a train over a mile to stop. By that time, what used to be your car is just a crushed hunk of metal. And what used to be you, well, better not to think about that. The point is, you can't know how quickly the train will arrive. The train can't stop, even if it sees you. The result is disaster. If the signals are on, the train is on its way. And you just need to remember one thing. Stop. Trains can't. If you think it's hard trying to figure out the history of the human species, then buckle up. Because in medieval times, history presented the mystery of the dancing plague, where people literally danced themselves to death. Yes, I said danced, like a tap dance or swing dance. Here's what went down, and what the modern medical community think caused it. This all happened in Strasbourg, which is in France these days, but back then it was still part of the Holy Roman Empire. On a hot July day in 1518, a woman named Fro Truffet stepped into the street and started dancing. Like, a lot. According to records, she danced without rest for between four and six days. We're talking no stopping to eat, sleep, or even take off her shoes. And people had started to join in. By the end of the week, there were 34 dancers. And within a month, the crowd grew to around 400. Because of the summer heat, up to 15 people per day were dying from exhaustion, according to some sources. Word spread, and esteemed physicians tried to figure out what was going on. Supernatural causes like demonic possession were certainly on the table. I mean, it was the medieval times after all. But the wisdom of the time settled on the medical explanation. The dancers had a case of hot blood and needed to dance it out. Are you laughing over there? <laughs> of course it's not demonic possession. It's hot blood. Sure. <laughs> so to help these people out that were suffering from the hot blood case... A stage was set and musicians were brought in to give the dancers something to groove to. And it was an absolute disaster. These measures only seemed to encourage the dancing and it caused the numbers to swell again. Finally, the plague passed almost as mysteriously as it arrived after about three months of nonstop boogieing. So what happened? Today, doctors think it was a kind of culture-influenced, stress-induced psychosis. It's well documented that certain psychological maladies only arise in certain cultural contexts. And this type of compulsive dancing was probably an example of just such a thing. And we're not above that type of thing now. 
These days, we have psychoses such as Paris syndrome, which only affects Japanese tourists in Paris. It just goes to show how much of an effect your cultural surroundings have on your mind and body. Hey, Cody, I'm going to have to call in sick tomorrow. <laughs> Why? I got a real bad case of hot blood. <laughs> Do you? Do you have a fever? <laughs> yep, and the only prescription is hot blood. <laughs> so glad you find that so amusing. Read about today's stories and more on Curiosity.com. Join us again tomorrow for the award-winning Curiosity Daily and learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Ashley Hamer. And I'm Cody Goff. Stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network.